Success stories and interviews with game changers and thought leaders who have overcome both in life and in business. Welcome to Vertical Momentum. Hey guys, I just want to let you know about an amazing company, an amazing product that we use in our home every day. The company is Ballish Woodwork. It is owned by my friend Kurt Ballish. He makes homemade woodworks. And for my wife, which you know I love and adore, last Mother's Day, I got her a homemade cutting board made by Kurt and is the only cutting board that we will use in our home. So if you guys love homemade woodwork and you would love to make a piece maybe for your wife, maybe a chessboard, maybe something special for your home, Definitely check out BalishWoodworks.com. Tell them that Richard and Vertical Momentum sent you guys. Have an amazing day. Remember, Vertical Momentum, the only way to go is but up. To another episode of Vertical Momentum, guys. This is going to be another great episode. If you're a podcaster, if you're in business, you need to get a pen and paper down. Because my friend Mike is going to drop some serious knowledge bombs on you. He is one of my favorite people in the world. He has, I loved his mic'd up podcast. Love it, love it, love it. And I'm honored that he's able to hang out with me today. Mr. Mike, what's going on, brother? What's up, my man? Hey, what an intro. Uh, Blessed to be here, honored to be here. And hopefully, actually, everything's okay, because I just realized I'm logged in as one of my clients right now. So I hope that doesn't have an issue with the recording. But that's what happens when you're moving too fast, right? Yeah, well, that's what happens, because, you you know, being from New York, you know, you're always fast, you're always moving yeah. and grooving. So, uh, by the way, True. I got to say, um, you know, I'm a Miami Dolphins fan, but I've always been a closet Buffalo Bills fan. Okay. Because I love... You know, some of the old Bills, Daryl Talley, you know, you guys had some of the best uh, special teams players in the world. Mm-hmm. Jim Kelly, truly amazing. So I've always been a Buffalo Bills, Bills secret fan. Shh, nobody's going to listen hear this anyway, but uh, so <laughs> I think you guys are going to have. Well, I'm going to awesome- share it even more now that you said that, because we got you on record. Uh, dude, I'll tell you what, you know, I run jokes about the whole bandwagon thing. And now that the Bills are winning playoff games and getting deeper into the playoffs, AFC champ uh, championship game last year. You kind of hear a lot about you're not alone in that. But at the same time, I've, the way I look at it is, uh, you know, come come and join us. Uh, the more the merrier. We're not going to uh, tell you you can't uh, enjoy watching the game with us and celebrate the Bills. I mean, obviously, uh, I, we love hearing that. Rather have that than uh, you be a bandwagon, uh, you know, Patriots fan or something, right? <laughs> no, I mean, I've always, no, I think one of the greatest players to get s- snubbed for the NFL Hall of Fame has been Steve Tasker. Steve Tasker, yeah. I and, knew you were going to so say it. So that's how far I go back watching mm-hmm. the Bills play, you know, and, and Thurman, you know, you guys had some amazing players. But uh, how are you doing and how is your day going so far today? I'm doing well. Uh, today's been going really well, actually. Talking about sports, got uh, kind of a really cool moment I want to share with you, and then uh, we'll kind of dive into wherever you want to take it from there. 
but yeah, it's been going extremely well. I got new clients that we're ramping up with, uh, helping them do launch their podcast and produce their show and distribute. Um, but also I'm taking a little bit of time off tonight for a special moment. Also, it's Buffalo related. And I don't take time off as you probably gathered. Um, and what I'm doing is I'm going to the Yankees game against it's uh, Toronto. That's actually in Buffalo tonight because what's going on is Toronto is not playing home games at their regular stadium. They're in Buffalo at the AAA team um, because of COVID. So last year they played here as well, but there were no fans because of COVID. So now they opened it up and uh, the Yanks came to town. They played last night and won six to five and tonight's game two. Uh, so I got tickets and I share that because I'm, I carved time out of my schedule to be there. Uh, my father is a huge Yankees fan. I should say was a huge Yankees fan because he passed away six months ago with COVID himself. And I would, I would have been taking him to this game for Father's Day. I'm flying solo kind of intentionally because I feel I'm still taking him with me, even though he's not physically with me. Um, and it's going to be a really special moment. And I was reflecting on it last night, man. And um, I just want to say anyone who's lost a parent or a close relative, a lot of people are like, man, you're handling it really well. It's because I totally have been putting up this barrier. And last night when I was thinking about going to this game tonight, now my brother sent me a picture of myself, my mom, and my my dad at a Bison's game. That's a AAA team in the same field I'm going to be sitting at tonight back in like 1994 when, when I was a kid. And um, and it just hit me. I finally realized, you know, it's not that I don't realize he's gone, but I, I kind of let, let the window open, you know, uh, and I got really emotional. Well, you know, it's a good thing that we're able to show emotion. Mm-hmm. You know? My father-in-law just passed, uh, was it May 1st. So this is the first, you know, Father's Day for my my wife. And so I, right. to- I totally get where you're coming from. But And I think that's where we have the chance to honor their, their legacy and, you know, their memories. And by the way, I'm a Yankees fan. Uh, okay. Lifelong. Um, even the bad years, you know, we've had a lot yeah. of bad years before everybody like you said hopped on the bang with the bandwagon with jeter and all them they forget the crappy years you know yeah. with willie randolph a couple of years before that yeah don mattingly was. never with mattingly yeah. they were in a championship team yeah so yeah so i get it so now talk to me now you know did you grow up in buffalo and what kind of little kid you know, because I know you have that nice Jewish name. <laughs> I said that because my wife's yeah. Italian, so it's, it's funny uh-huh. when, when I talk to other people that have last names with a lot of vowels in it, you know. So yeah. what was it like growing up? You know, what kind of little kid were you? Yeah, appreciate you asking. So, uh, of course, he's joking. Obviously, my last name being DeChocho has a lot of vowels in it. It's uh, Italian. And so we're a little bit north from your wife's family. Um, grew up in Buffalo, currently live here. Um, I have a six-year-old daughter who's in the Northeast. She's in uh, Buffalo currently, and her her mom's going to be moving to Philly. So we're still within, it's kind of crazy, but like a six, six and a half hour driving. So I don't see myself moving out of the the area because I want to spend as much time with my daughter as possible. I'll kind of get to that part of the story that's a little bit more recent. But to answer your question, yeah, I grew up in Buffalo. Uh, It's kind of funny because you were talking about the Bills. 
I, w- I was born in 86, so I'm four years old when they're in that Super Bowl 25 moment with Norwood. And then they went four years in a row, as you know. And when I was a kid, and we did huge Super Bowl parties with the family and all kinds of crazy stuff. My brother made a Lombardi out of tinfoil. We had a lot of fun. I'm the youngest of three, so he was a little bit older than me. And we, we had like big cakes and all kinds of stuff. So I thought the Bills went to the Super Bowl every year. I didn't know because four years in a row as a kid, and that's like my developmental years. So that fifth year when they didn't go, I was like, what the hell? How come the Bills aren't in the Super Bowl this year? Uh, I just got a little bit spoiled that the team was that good, right? Because that's all I knew. I but, think like a, lot of, a lot of New England fans kind of got that way recently. Uh-huh. And now yeah. they're like, wait a minute, we're, we're back to being mortals again, you know? Yeah, like a four or five-year-old kid when when Brady won the first Super Bowl and then got to grow up and just see that team was in it every year and then like one year they're not he's gonna be confused what's going on so um i you know i'll I'll just say this too as a sports fan i want to share a little bit of things other than being a sports fan that that kind of make me who i am today but what was kind of cool and i was uh just great timing is i got to experience those great bills teams and then when the bills started to drop off the yankees got hot and i mean my dad was a fan since the 50s so um he taught me about all the great teams, the, the 61 team and everything. So I grew up as a youngster loving the Yankees. And then once the Bills kind of dropped off and the Yankees started to get good, um, I mean, we watched the Yankees game even before that together. But I got a lot of my favorite memories with my dad. And it's kind of interesting that we're having this conversation today. Like I said, it's really heavy on my heart with the game being tonight. But many of my favorite moments with my dad were watching Yankees games, mostly playoff games, the 96, 98, 99, and 2000 series. He popped champagne with us here at the house. It was the happiest I've ever seen him. It was, uh, I'll share a moment. In 94, he took us to old Yankee Stadium to see Old Timers Day, Mickey Mantle, comes out of the dugout he kind of stumbles a little bit it was like towards the end for the mick and it was at that point in time 94 i was eight years old it was the only time in my life i saw my dad cry at that point in time and it was because he got to see his childhood hero like he had like a teary eye moment with his boys you know and it was so hot that day it was like mid-july we're up in behind uh home plate kind of pretty high up in in nosebleed still a great view though and uh, I just remember the program like melting in my hands. That's how hot it was that day. But just a great memory. And um, yeah, so I grew up just having great sports moments with the early with those early '90 Bills teams and then the late '90 Yankees teams. So it was really a great decade. Also love music. So as a youngster, I love creating content before we called it that. Uh, meaning I was running around with a VHS or VCR or what am I trying to say? A VHS tape. Uh, camcorder. So if you can just remember those clunky shoulder cameras where you literally pop the VHS tape into it. And we would edit, my brother and I, we would edit from one VCR to the next, pressing play and record. And that was our nonlinear editing system. So I'm in media production today, so that's why it's laughable to think of how it all... What kind of music scene were you into? Yeah. So I love the 90s, man. That was my decade. And I loved everything from early 90s grunge. Um, I listened to, you know, Nirvana, Soundgarden, STP, Pearl Jam, huge Chili Peppers fan. Uh, that was kind of the core of it. Some some kind of 
goofier bands that were really good were like Cake, if you remember them. Yep. It was such a great, you know what I love about that decade with music is that I just named five or six different bands. They're all great in their own unique way, but they all sounded, even though they had a similar sound, like they could be on the same bill, they had a uniqueness about them. They had quirks, they had characters, their lead singers were all different characters, right? Especially and, Cornell, you know, I mean, what a, what a person, what a voice, yeah, what a talent. Unbelievable. Yeah, but you had Cornell, you had Lane Staley. Um, Kiedis has, in his own way, is, you know, just a, a great front man. And Kurt Cobain, great, you know, they all had their own great front man quirks. Eddie Vedder, how do you argue him as a great front man, right? So, but they all were different. And I think kind of now music is blending more together where it just seems a little bit more commercially packaged. And um, I don't see that separation as much as I did back then with just everyone being different, but being great. It was just really, really almost spoiled when you think about how good those Bills teams and Yankees teams and just the great music that was coming out. I also love classic rock too. So I was big into um, even before classic rock, like the Beatles, Elvis, and then also leading into like Zeppelin, Deep Purple, a little bit of Pink Floyd. So I had an influence as a youngster from some of the classics, also some jazz. I had an appreciation for that. I love Glenn Miller Orchestra, In the Mood, a song that my dad always loved when it would come on. Um, and so I actually was uh, you know, trained in school. I'm a percussionist. So in fifth grade, I started playing the drums, played all the way up through high school, everything from marching band, jazz, wind ensemble. So I even big chick magnet with that drum. <laughs> a little bit i mean you know what the thing is i was always in serious relationships so i never everyone always talks about the drummer getting all the girls but when you have a girlfriend if you're loyal you don't really goof around like that so i didn't i i, I guess i didn't take advantage of it because of the situation but it's all good i was you know honestly not to sound like a like a square but i was just so into the music i just was was having a blast i mean now, literally your yeah. influences on drums were you like a neil peart guy were you neil is neil was so instrumental no pun intended for for percussionists uh it's hard to ignore his name i respect him as a talented drummer but he was never someone i i didn't like study his drum parts as much as most drummers do and it's because i i wasn't huge into rush they were a fantastic band but something about them was almost too technically sound where it almost was uh it was like progressive complicated intentional where I'm, i appreciate that as a musician but the stuff i would turn on and just just get away uh would be led zeppelin so john bonham to me was a technical drummer that had feel he could get into a groove and he can beat the crap out of the drums and play a heavy rock beat and he was funky he just was he he had like the best touch of a little bit of Buddy Rich influence mixed with heavy hitter. Um, and it's crazy to think he was doing most of it while chugging uh, Jack Daniels underneath his drum, drum throne later on. You kind of learn that about him, but uh, just fantastic. So I would say Buddy Rich, a little Gene Krupa style with, with jazz influence and then into John Bonham. And then later on, more of a Chad Smith fan. Okay. And most people don't know that, you know, I'm a big kid. I've been a big kiss fans you yeah know, i seen kiss 77 in the garden and it was amazing mm -hmm. but a lot of people don't know that peter chris was actually taught by gene krupa that's awesome i did not you know, know that either yeah you know and i and i and i 
love seeing, you know, when he, he may not have been the greatest technical drummer, mm-hmm. but he had like 8,000 drums and did a drum solo. I yeah. thought it was pretty He crazy. had the personality behind it. But here's, yeah. here's the thing, talking about that real quick. So, you know, Ringo gets a lot of, he, he always, I always was told as a kid growing up, oh, you know, just to play a Ringo Starr beat, like, like it was easy, like everything he did was easy. But real true educated drummers appreciate Ringo because he did not do everything just black and white for, for easy. There were things he would throw in and he actually attacked his drum fills kind of backwards because of the way he played kind of led with his left hand instead of his right. So just what would sound like a simple beat would, would be not complex in a Neil Pert kind of way where he's throwing, you know, 16th and 32nd note uh, fills, but like, just the way he would he would throw something in every sixth time and then the last time in the song when you're waiting for it he does it like one measure later it's just weird stuff like that you literally like if you were taking notes you had to write out when he would do something because he didn't repeat himself uh like you know every other time during the chorus is he gonna hit his crash cymbal he might play it on the first note once the second note a second time and like not at all the third time you know what i mean yeah. Now, and did then, you go to college yeah. for um for sound, or what was your you know what did you want to do once you got out of high school? Yeah. So, uh, growing up, I played in like I said, every school band played in a rock and roll band, couple three different bands. Uh, like in my college years, we were very good. Band was named Redwater, all one word. Don't even try searching it. There's really nothing you're gonna find. Believe it or not, we kind of took things down when the band disbanded and like uh when was it maybe 2009 that we kind of wrapped things up so it's been many years um but i did not go to school for music i went to school originally as an educator and then i transitioned from there i went to buffalo state college for four years got my bachelor of arts so i I want to be an educator uh and i'll tell you why and then i transitioned from there into media production I didn't even know it existed. That's why I didn't start with that. Then I found out that they had a like television, film, and arts and a production studio. And once I learned that, I just totally transitioned everything over. So, you know, when you first got, you know, you got into the start of learning their production. Mm-hmm. Did you start thinking, you know, because like I, as I started learning to play guitar, you know, I'm, I'm the world's okayest guitar player. Um, sure. I started, you know, went back to my old records mm-hmm. and started listening to some, you know, Beatles stuff. And, and you start listening to the production of things. Did, it, did did you start going back into your past and start looking at production values of certain things? Yes, absolutely. Um, when we recorded the few times that I had studio experience, we always said, let's record on analog opposed to digital because we love that sound kind of a hippie mentality of it sounds better on a record and we loved analog tape over digital. Um, so yeah, I definitely went back and understood and appreciated. And when I learned little quirks about how Jimmy Page recorded his tiny amps and got this huge sound, it just, that, that stuff was always interesting to me. I would research how Bonham tuned his drums and, you know, how he put solid coats uh, on the, you know, underneath and stuff like that, which was just pretty rare. Um, in his big 26 inch bass drum and all kinds of stuff. I used to have modern drummer magazine and and read up up on all that stuff. Um, But, you know, it it got to the point where I was just so into creating music with the guys, you know, I just look forward to it 
during the day, we'd be all working at our four different jobs. And just the best part of it was coming together, bringing our four unique creative, you know, juices together and writing the music. And then the best feeling is playing it and seeing people just out there. We weren't really a dance group. You know, it's not like you're going to go out necessarily dancing, but just people feeling it, you know, um, that, that was the best feeling in the world. And I would play just as hard for three drunk guys at a bar as we did when we got to play some festivals for a few thousand people in Buffalo. Uh, we had some really fun times, but yeah, I just, I, I loved it, man. That, that was, it's a lot of fun for me. So what kind of jobs did you take once you graduated from college? Yeah. So the way my career kind of, uh, took off and led me into what I'm doing now, uh, as a real youngster, like my first job, I was making tacos at a local company called Mighty Taco. So I kind of started off in the fast food world. And then from there, transitioned into retail sales. I always had the mentality to grow wherever I was at. So once I got into like certain retail environments that I enjoyed the company and I liked the product, I always wanted to advance. Um, and then if I felt like there wasn't a great advancement opportunity or it wasn't a product or service, I really was married to or or felt good about i would move on to something different so my first few years between 16 and 22 i had quite i bounced around quite a bit but i had this opportunity uh when i was about losing track of time i might have been 23 years old um working at a music store i kind of came in as the drum guy and so they they gave me an opportunity to be a the drum specialist which sounded fancy and I worked there a little over a year and had the opportunity to learn how to um, sell, really. And just I learned how to listen more, use my two ears and and my one mouth. Right. So it, it was more important for me to learn how to be consultative. Now, it was a, it was a very loosey goosey sales role. There weren't like sales training or anything like that. And it's a music store. So it was a cool environment. Um, I. I don't even think we had set goals. It was, there was like very little commission you can make. But what I learned was is the, the art of uh, being a good listener. And when people came into the store, you know, seeing what they were all about and then showing them a product, you know, that, that they have interest in and then give them some recommended suggestions. And so I, it was kind of like sales 101 for me. It was really basic stuff, kind of getting used to talk to people about big purchases too. We're talking, you know, average guitar sale then would have been $1,500, maybe some $2,000 purchases uh, to some of the start, like beginner guitars in the two, 300 level. So I was selling higher ticketed items, you know, uh, pre previous to that, I was selling watches at a mall kiosk, you know, so it wasn't really like high end stuff. So the music store kind of got me comfortable uh, transacting thousands of dollars opposed to 20 bucks, 50, 100 bucks, you know? So that from there, I knew I, I didn't want to live or work at a music store for much longer because of, you know, it was like seven bucks an hour plus commission at the time. I was saving up for an engagement ring. Uh, so my last year in college, I got serious with my girlfriend and uh, we were planning on getting married. And so that summer we got engaged. Um, what I did was where my, where the thing really takes a big, um, big change, career path change. So I went from that music store to working at a company called Sleep Number. Maybe you've heard of the Sleep Number beds. Huge. Oh, yeah. Commercials everywhere. Yeah. Commercials are everywhere. What's, what's funny is they finally partnered with the NFL. And when I worked for the company, I was I always said this would be a great product partner for the NFL. I mean, these guys are taking a beating and what other product would be great that 
a bed that adjusts to your level of comfort based on, you know, how you feel after a game or during a workout or whatever. And then they're like, ah, oh, that's never going to happen. And then later I left the company and they ended up doing the partnership. But while I was there, I, I sold for two years and that's when the light bulb went off for me. That's when I had a really large goal handed to me. I was 24, 25 years old, and I ended up crushing the goal 147% to my annual goal my first year with the company, which I won president's circle, meaning you're like a top five percenter out of over eight, 900 uh, reps for the company at that time. Got to meet the C-level people on the team and crack a beer with the CEO. It was a ton of fun. They sent me out to Park City, Utah, which had this beautiful resort where the Olympics were. Um, resort i love that resort up there it's beautiful up that way up I, for, I, I forget what where we were but it was beautiful it was like a cabin style resort yep. up in the up in the mountains in park city where the, it wasn't the same year the olympics were going on but it's the same location that they did the winter olympics one year and so a lot of the signage was still up and it was pretty neat we went through like this small town village feel and uh, like local local pubs and stuff. It just had a really, really cool vibe. But I got the reason I share it is because that moment is when the light bulb went off that, hey, I'm really good at the sales thing. And my father, who I mentioned a few times, he was a blue collar steel plant worker, Ford stamping plant. So he was stamping out car doors. And I knew that it wasn't really what I wanted for the rest of my life. And I was grateful that he did that to provide for our family. But I certainly... Uh, didn't, you know, see that in the cards for me. Right. So, um, I, I, you know, getting into the sales thing and I started to do well, I realized I care about people. And when they came to me, I was really interested in finding a good solution for them. And that's really what a, a sale is. It's, you know, they have a need, we have a solution, and then there's a transaction of value. So you see value in my product and an exchange of money. That's really, at the end of the day, black and white what a sale is. But opposed to transactional selling where you just come in and say, I want point and I want that one. Okay, ring me up over here. It was the consultative process of let me get to know a little bit more about you. Who's going to be laying on the bed? Is it for you and a spouse? You know, what's the situation? And I talked to a lot of people who had injuries and athletes and all kinds of people who really needed. Obviously, quality sleep is so important. Diet, exercise, and, and sleep are the that's a triad, right? To a healthy lifestyle. And so I got really good at it for a couple of years, got recruited from there into uh, being a, an agent for Liberty Mutual. And I was like laughing when they recruited me. It's like, I, I don't know anything about insurance. I mean, I just, at that point I was 25, 26 years old maybe. And I'm thinking, I hate insurance. I just have to pay it every month. And it's the last thing I want to think about is insurance. Right. And uh, to me, it was just, it was a bill I paid at the end of the month. And so they're like, oh, you know what? Don't worry about it. We see you have a, a great track record in sales. You're doing well. Um, we'll teach you the, the, the business. We'll teach you insurance. We'll get you a license in New York State. No problem. Here's the cool part. We'll send you down to Florida for two weeks. We'll get you a company laptop. And they kind of sweeten the deal. So I, I said yes to that. Uh, married for a few years at that point. Kind of was feeling like a champ. Bought the, you know, the house had, you know, my wife and, and the, the, the jobs coming together. It was really like the American dream was being born. And I was, I was feeling really good about it. Um, our daughter was on the way at that point. She was born in 2015, just to put everything on a timeline. 
and kind of felt like I was on top of the world. Uh, did the insurance game for about three and a half years. At that point, I kind of realized, hey, I, I'm pretty good at this too. Uh, I want to become a branch manager. And I was in all kind of um, training programs. I had to work myself up to be even considered for them. So I was in a ton of like leadership programs, both at Sleep Number and at Liberty. Uh, and then I just had this like moment where I realized I wasn't really fulfilled. Even when I was doing well, I, I lost fulfillment because I didn't think that was my purpose in life was to sell insurance or even beds. Um, and I'll just, uh, to kind of get to where I'm at today, I'll tell this. I, I got called back to Sleep Number to manage the store. The reason I left was because there wasn't an opportunity to grow. It was basically, I would have been a sales rep continuously with no real room for development. So once they said the store manager position was up for grabs, put your name in the hat. I, I eventually did, went back to the company, had a Pro Bowl season, since we're talking a little sports, you can appreciate that. Uh, absolutely crushed it. Had a really trying year that year because a lot of the people on the team, I had some real personal situations with a few employees that, um, you know, some stuff, some, some things they were involved with, with the law. And, you know, I just had some really crazy stuff that was happening at the store and I was able to kind of manage through the the disaster and have a successful year. Well, even though that looked good on paper and my numbers were great and I was really doing well, uh, financially, I would go home and things were not good at, at home. That's a fulfillment again. So I was losing fulfillment in what I was doing, and I was losing fulfillment and respect in my own house because my marriage was kind of going down the tubes. And the most important thing to me at that time was was uh, being a great dad to my daughter, right? So once my wife and I got to this point of no return, we decided it would be best for us to actually separate, and eventually we got divorced. And there were some definite times of turmoil. I mean, at a couple of times, she literally packed my bags and just didn't want anything to do with me. And I was like, I live here too. This is my house. Like, you can't just kick me out of my own house. But we had some some trying times. I actually speak about the whole story. And I'll give a shout out to Judy Weigel, who interviewed me recently on the Amicable Divorce podcast. So if someone's listening and they kind of want to know the backstory and what happens, you can, you can go and check that out. Um, but I, I end up taking it as an opportunity, Rich, is like, you know, it was a rebirth for myself. I was 31, um, divorced, beautiful daughter. She was two at that point, and I was 31 years old. So I kind of felt like, hey, I can, I, I, I can reinvent myself here. And anything I'm not, anything I'm doing now that I'm not fulfilled in, it's my option to choose to keep going with it. So if, if I wasn't fulfilled at work, you know, it's not like when you're married, you have that that decision. It's a co-decision between typically spouses and you talk it through. Now I'm a single dude. And I was like, I'm not really digging this, even though I was doing well. So the company was so surprised when I walked away, um, especially being the second time. So I didn't mean for it to be a slap in the face, but I think they were just shocked that I would walk away from a great opportunity. But it was because I wanted to, to launch my own company, something I felt fulfilled doing and tied to my skills of growing up as a creator and someone who loved to make content, like I said, video and even mess around with audio as a youngster. And so I created this idea of social chameleon. And at the time, 2017, it was more of a media and marketing company. It was kind of broad scale of what we would be doing. 
And that was a, a mistake I later realized. And I'll share how I realized that and how it's helped me actually in, in changing that mentality. But I was offering everything from web design, helping people get on the first page of Google, your videos, your testimonials, uh, social media, running the accounts, doing the ads, almost too much, right? Way too much. Um, but yeah, that's what I, I did initially. And I'm still doing that now four years later. And actually, this has been the best six months. Uh, the first six months of 2021 have been my best six months of the business so far. So things are going extremely well. So now, you know, because if we would have been, you know, if we even looked five years ago, mm-hmm. you know, who would ever thought that, you know, me and you would be sitting on a phone doing it we i would never even know what a podcast was right you know and and it's it's amazing how um far technology has come and it seems like everybody and their mother has a podcast now mm-hmm. uh, but you know i try to deep dive as much as i can you know i'm, I'm up to like 300 interviews or something stupid like that yeah <laughs> awesome man but um you know they say that the average podcast doesn't last past eight episodes yeah it's like eight to 15 range and i think that's when the tough it starts to get like oh i gotta manage all this and continue to create and becomes a lot of work and if it's if you're not sold on it more so than like if it's not monetizing right away or it's not providing you that same uh excitement level as it did eight episodes ago then people it's easy to i don't want to even say quit but Put it, put it on the back burner, which essentially is quitting because people say, oh, I got business. I got my family. I got all this other stuff. So I think it gets it gets kind of pushed aside. But one thing that you and I both did is we committed to the fact that we were going to do it no matter what. And that's every Monday I release an episode and I get enough in the queue where when you have something devastating like losing my dad um when he passed away in december i still was able to roll with the podcast because i had him queued up i just needed to distribute and do the show notes and stuff and now i have a team that does it all for myself and our clients so um it's uh, you get so good at it you can you can get the distribution part set up almost on autopilot right um for me you know like everybody knows that when they come on my show Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, two brothers or sisters just having a cup of coffee and chilling right. and talking about whatever, mm-hmm. you know, let it, let it flow. Mm-hmm. For me, it's all about, you know, like now that you've come on my show, today is when the relationship just starts. Yeah. And, and I think that's the difference between, you know, it being looking at the long game and looking at, you know, the short game. Mm-hmm. Like I'm a big Gary V guy. You know, we're friends. We've talked a couple a bunch of times. Mm-hmm. and we're we're in the two i mean me and him have a three-year plan for the show but right now we're in two and a half years at, so i still got six more months to go mm-hmm. but a lot of people think you know i'm going to start a podcast uh, i'm going to get millions of downloads and i'm going to start monetizing mm-hmm. and they put out their first couple episodes and they hear crickets mm-hmm. they don't realize that it you got to work it's yeah. work it's a job it's like having another career mm-hmm. so talk to us about you know how to build a successful podcast, but also how to pick your niche or, you know, cause you, I, I realize that you can't be everything to everybody. Mm-hmm. Or else nobody's going to listen. Yeah. I yeah. think that that's a recipe for disaster. If you're trying to serve too large of a community, then the community is too noisy to even know you're there. Right. So, 
Um, I definitely will say one of the best things if you're looking to grow an audience in the shortest period of time. Now, I, I think it's a mistake if you're so hooked on the vanity metrics of we need to see thousands of downloads immediately for us to feel good about this. Because if that's why you're doing it, then you're going to get burned out pretty quickly because when the downloads do come, if you're not satisfied and fulfilled, like I talked about in business, it's no different than making money, but doing something you don't truly feel is your purpose. We get one shot on this planet. So if you're wasting any amount of time not doing something you feel connected to, it doesn't matter if you have downloads or not, right? So, um, but I would say that the number one thing I can tell someone is to connect with the purpose, why you're doing it. It should, the last thing should be just a monetizing piece. I'm not saying to neglect that. Obviously that's important and know that you can, what's cool about podcasting is you can do something you love, talk about a topic you love and make money doing it eventually, but that, that shouldn't precede it. You know, you should definitely, um, I hate the word should, cause I always think don't should on yourself. So let me even stop using it. But what I recommend is getting laser focused and clear on what you want, map it out, Go somewhere in between launching it prematurely and being strategic. What I mean by that is don't sit on an idea for three years and say, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do this and it's got to be perfect. And don't just, uh, you know, take a piece of paper and turn it into a paper airplane and throw it because, and oh, it flies. Well, yeah, you can launch a podcast pretty quickly and on a low budget, but in doing so, anyone who comes across your content initially, which most of your friends and family will listen to like that first episode or two. But if it's lousy, you don't have a great show intro, outro, the quality stinks, you know, the cover art looks like you made an MS Paint 1991. Uh, if it's just thrown together, um, you're going to lose people pretty quickly and you don't typically get a second chance. So I'd say be somewhere between calculated and overthinking it, you know, um, or, or just having that go-getter mentality like like Gary V. I mean, he's not so worried about over-polishing anything. He's kind of like, get it up and running, right? And, but then, you know, do it well. And I the podcast that cut through, I feel like the fat, the noise, the, you know, the two point whatever billion or million episodes, uh, excuse me, podcasts that exist today, most of them are stagnant, as you know, because they're the eight episode people who who drop, right? um that cliff so i i feel what's going to resonate and cut through all the noise is someone who's not only like knows their why and is really cr crystal clear but provides unique value and your personality like why does someone listen to a show host on one topic like you can get you know football content from so many different sources now not just your espn or this or that but the reason you tune into a particular show is you connect with the host, right? It's a connection. Why do we like our friends and stick around with the family members we like? We, the ones we connect with the most that resonate the best with us, we hang with them, right? So it's no different with podcasts. So it, it would be like, I would just say connect with your people. And then once you kind of know who your audience is and you start to feel that, that connection, make sure you're actually connecting with them. And that's something that I even remind myself a lot on social media. Like interaction is huge. Engagement is the whole thing, right? Because if you just throw episodes out, expect people to find them and you don't like if someone writes you a review or a comment or a message and you just ignore it, what are you doing it for, right? Like it's, you're supposed to be treating, serving the audience.
yeah. like, don't serve yourself, serve the audience first. You know, and I, like, I think, you know, like we're now in the top 5% of podcasts in the world mm-hmm. and it's all because of the guests, you mm-hmm. know, never because of me just outing off 45 minutes, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? So yeah. now people that you, you know, I'm sure you've produced many podcasts. What are some of the, um, the things that you see that the successful podcasts are doing and what are some people failing at? Mm-hmm. in today's market because it, it you know it changes on a monthly a yearly basis so what do you see successful podcasters doing and what do you see people that are failing yeah it's a great question what i'd say is actually maybe surprising in that it's not like some cutting edge secret that came out in 2021 the biggest mistake i see people do is launch a full-length episode and throw it up on the zoom video on YouTube, like unedited with no overlays where it's literally just a black bar top and bottom zoom video. And hopefully I'm not like offending anyone and saying that, but I'm just being honest. Like if someone sees that to me, it tells me you're just, you're doing like the lowest common denominator, like required to do a good podcast. You know what I mean? Like you're just barely doing it. Um, so that right, right away is a mistake because you know, that level of, of um, what you're putting out to the audience just says that you're not really that into it, right? So that's number one is just throwing the whole thing out there and expecting people to find it. Uh, you know, think about it. The reason I said it's not cutting edge, it's an older mentality is it's no different than when a movie would have went to theaters, right? So uh, like M. Night Shyamalan's movie Old is coming out at the end of July and whether you like him or not, He's been promoting it. He's on late night talk shows talking about it. The trailers are playing on social media and in theaters right now for current movies. But why, what is he offering? It's micro content. He's giving you a little tease. So then when the movie comes out, you're going to want to see the rest of it. So to speak to what people are doing, uh, I feel not doing well is launching that full content without giving people those little trailers. And so that's why you see Gary Vee is so popular or Lewis House, Ed Milet. What these guys are doing great is they put out an hour-long episode, sometimes it may be even longer like Rogan, but they have these little pieces of, of quality content that hook you in. So they're they're going to give you a like a title up top. We call that the header. Subtitles in the video. So it looks good. It's clean. And 95%, if not even more now, are, are watching it and reading it on their social media, uh, scrolling whatever apps they're on, and they're not listening to it because they're either on the throne or they're in between meetings or they're waiting for you know dinner to be served or they're cooking dinner and they got two minutes before it's done and they're just scrolling through on their phone and most people are not listening to it. You know what I'm saying? They're watching it with the subtitles. So I would say podcasters if you do a visual show which most now are doing is visual content's most engaging then you know and i know this is an audio only i'm not trying to throw a dig at you rich but i'm just saying like those you can do audiograms if you know for an audio only person listening right now who's like i'm just not interested in doing the video i love the audio only concept hey that's fine but you can still do audio only audiograms which is basically like the cover art of you if you're interviewing someone it's you and your guest something that looks compelling that has the audio it shows a little wave 
so people understand that it's motion and that there's, and there's something to listen great, to. A lot of great apps, like I use Headliner. Headliner is yeah. e easy to use, and you can do it. It doesn't take a ton of time, but there's that time and energy. If you care about it enough, you'll put that little extra energy, or you'll hire someone to do it, right? So that's what I would say um, separates people. Now, if you have quality content, you're doing the promos and everything else, and it's still not growing, then I would ask a little bit of internal questions about, like, how are you serving that community or are you getting in front? Do you know and identify with your target audience? Um, something I'm even thinking about doing, and I was talking to a couple other podcasters this week and just getting more analytics back, uh, just sending out things like whether it's your email blast or on social media when people do like a picture, whether it's a cover art, a, a quote from the show, or your uh, micro content, those videos I'm talking about, the promos with uh, subtitles. Someone likes it, maybe just check in and see like, okay, can you give us, you know, 20 seconds of your time to fill out the survey and basically just, you know, see where, where they're tuning in from. Now, I use Lipson and that information's in there too, but they may be tuning in, you know, on YouTube or a different app or something or only watching your promo content and loving it. They're still a great fan of your show, but maybe they're not the kind of person that's going to listen to the whole thing, but they still love and support you. So you should know where that person too is and, and like what their age is and what they do is their like profession. So then you know who to, who to connect with from a marketing standpoint, you know? You know, and I love that, you know, like my friend Travis Johnson put out mm -hmm. a book, put out a, um, a book on podcasting. And yeah. Nonprofit he, architect. He actually yeah. was on my show. <laughs> yep, and I'm on yeah. his my show's on his on the nonprofit architect. Yeah. But it's amazing how a lot of podcasters they don't want to go through the time to put their podcast on all these different platforms. Mm -hmm. You know, because I think there's like a hundred different platforms that you could put it on. It, it, it takes time. You know, mm -hmm. it takes a lot of time to manually put put these, you know, your shows on different um platforms. But like you said, I think if you want to be professional. You know, you got to go where, like even Gary says, you know, you got to go where the attention is. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if you're not everywhere, you're nowhere. Yeah. And, and not only go where the attention is, but you got to get people's attention. Number one, like Grant Cardone always says, do I have your attention? Do I have your attention? Do I have your attention? Like that's the, the number one thing because, you know, someone could even scroll, but if you're not getting their attention, then it's, it's a wasted time too. So, you know, and then second, most important thing is after getting their attention, it's what you do with it. So if somebody gives you their attention, that's really the, like even better than money. Someone could pay you once and fall off the face of the earth. But if someone gives you their attention, you just made them an impression. It's a word we use a lot in the social media world, impressions. But if they, if you're allowing them to make an impression, right? Or have an impression of, of you, your show, your content, that is so valuable because that can be someone who's going to tune in many times can be, if you sell courses or whatever it is that you're monetizing, they can then become a paid customer and they can, you know, share it with their network and it can grow from there. And, you know, they can be a longtime fan of the show. That's a huge value of what you do. Just like a longtime fan of the Yankees, the bills are, it's so important for sports teams to have people continue to watch that team, which is why when a team starts to stink, and I know the Yankees were on a, the wrong side of a streak recently where they were just struggling to put runs together. And, and a lot of fans are saying nothing will change until we don't show up or watch it. And in many ways, that's true because 
the end of the game, end of the day, it's a business. And, you know, if the product sells and the product stinks, what, why would that business ever want to change it? Like if the first, uh, iPod that came out sucked and, um, you know, and, and Apple just kept shoving it on people's throats. So like nobody bought the thing. They're going to change it eventually. They're going to come out with different options, the color options. They're going to make it a little bit better each time. And they're going to do it off of user interaction. That's what makes those companies so great. Tech companies care so much about UI, you, you know, the interface or UE, the experience, right? So um, that's where it's at. And we have to think about our podcast the same way. And even if your show is like a B2B type show, it's you're still a personal brand. Like when I worked for Liberty Mutual, what made me a good salesperson wasn't that I walked around with a Liberty Mutual uh, logo on on my back or selling sleep number beds. It wasn't just because I worked for sleep number or only because I worked for them. It was because people came in and they enjoyed working with me and I helped them get one step closer to being an owner of the product. If I would have butchered it, then they would have walked out, maybe bought it from someone else, bought it online, who knows? But you got to remember your value is way greater than you may be giving yourself credit for. Um, now we're going to talk about branding because I, uh-huh. I'm a big branding guy. You know, just every just anybody that's a Yankees fan, hmm. if you say the number two, uh-huh. every, you don't even have to have his name on the back of it. I'll be wearing. I hope you don't because he never had it on his. I'm, I'll be wearing a two jersey tonight, uh, pinstripes, uh, and no no name because yeah. the Yankees don't have names on their jerseys. But, but yeah, you know, we're talking about Jeter. If, you know, if every two or three years he changes number, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? He's, they stay consistent. You know, Michael Jordan was number 23. You mm-hmm. know, they stayed consistent over time. And I see a lot of businesses, they're just trying to go with the trends. So they're constantly changing and changing and there's no consistency within their branding. You know, kind of like I tell everybody, imagine if we're watching, cause me and you were both sports nuts and I'm sure we could just talk forever about sports right but just imagine if michael jordan came you know um came to the podium wearing adidas sweatsuit and adidas sneakers people mm-hmm. would lose their mind because he is air jordan, jordan. yeah yeah you know, people know him as he's pretty much even though phil knight was the owner everybody thinks michael jordan is you know air jordan is, is yeah. not can I so, add to that real quick? I just would love to add to that real quick. Yeah, because, that's what I so, want to go so, wrong with. So Jordan's a perfect example because guess what? Jordan, basket, you think of basketball, you think of greatness, you think of the number 23, you think of the Jumpman logo, you think of his sneaker brand. Um, but guess what? He changed his number to 45, didn't he? He went and played a different sport, didn't he? Didn't work out so well, didn't it? <laughs> yeah. So in a sense, he, when he changed his brand, different number, different sport, different level of success he kind of tarnished his brand in a sense i'd say and i love michael jordan he's one of my favorite athletes of all time jeter and jordan you just named the two guys you must have been doing your homework on me but uh yeah yeah one thing i do i do my homework (laughs) those are my guys and um and so yeah you know i think I, i get what jordan was trying to do he had this passion to go and try something else and i commend him for going to do it but you know i obviously hindsight says maybe staying in Chicago and playing, you know, a few more years, is that another championship or two? Who knows? 
and he went off and kind of came back, right? And he was playing on a different team, and then he was owning the Wizards and all the good, all that good stuff. Um, you know, Jeter, on the other hand, stayed number two, kind of was that same character throughout his 20-year career, and his brand respect with the number two in it, it was strong, you know? Um, I'm not a huge fan that he went to Miami and wanted to be an owner. I know that that was his aspirations, and he, he can do what he wants to do, of course. But and as a Yankees fan, it, it still doesn't feel quite right knowing that he's over there. And I would rather see the Yankees giving him an opportunity to maybe have some level of front office experience. And then maybe, you know, I don't know if, if they just, the Steinbrenner family just didn't see a spot for him there. If he just, I think it was more on Jeter. They may have offered him something and he just said, no, I want to be the manager of the team. And that obviously wasn't, an opportunity in New York. Yep. Now but, we're, you know, we're talking about branding, you know, uh, mm-hmm. now, you know, like I said, we're both big Yankees fans. Um, Jeter always said the right thing. Um, put team first, everything else was, it was all about winning. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then you have somebody like a rod, mm-hmm. um, which a lot of people that I talk to and, and I'm one of them, mm-hmm. I don't consider him a Yankee. Me neither. <laughs> when somebody says, you know, A-Rod, a Yankee, yeah. and I'm like, yeah, he was here, but he's not a Yankee. He was here for longer than it felt like when you think about it, but, but he was see, here longer. Yeah. You get a guy like Bernie Williams. That's a Yankee. That's a Yankee. Yep. Mm-hmm. So, you know, but just think of the, two, the dichotomy between the both of them. One was all about team, all about, you know, doing the right thing at all times. And the other was all about him. And, you know, keeping doing other things besides what he was supposed to be doing. And I think that's a big reason why he'll never be known as a Yankee. So yeah. can you talk about the differences between one and the other. Yeah. So, I, you know what? And here's the thing. Some people might be listening, thinking, well, yeah, he was a transplant. He came over from the Mariners. Right. But so Paul O'Neill came over from Cincinnati didn't he? So I, I know it was, was it Cincinnati? I think so. But yep. my point is he came over, but I consider Paul O'Neill a Yankee. Look, he's still part of the organization now in the Yes Network. But uh, the difference was the way that he like embraced the team. And I feel like A-Rod came in and it just, some, something about it didn't just gel right. I don't know if it's because of the caliber player he was prior to, and then kind of had the drop off and then kind of had like an attitude thing about it. Plus, you know, he was in the media for the wrong reasons and stuff. And he almost kind of seemed like a pretty boy that didn't, even though Jeter was considered a pretty boy, it was like in a different way. It was kind of like he was, he was the company rep, you know, he represented the brand like we're talking about. And so I feel like it doesn't necessarily have to be someone who is a farm club, you know, farm raised boy, like, uh, like Jeter came up through the club or he got judged today that's what I love actually about the young team today is there, there's a lot more um, homegrown talent on this team than usual. Cause a lot of people hate the Yankees saying, Oh, they just buy everybody. Right. But uh, a lot of the great teams in the nineties. Yeah. There were some players that came over, but there also was a core, you know, you had the Mariano, you had the core four. Yep. Right. Posada, Pettit. Um, and you, you know, those were your branded guys. So when, when guys would come in, from other cities, they struggled to put those pinstripes on and play their best ball for some reason. Um, and for, for whatever it is, it just, the brand just, it, it, 
it, it's how you feel, right? That's what really good brands do is they make you feel a certain way when you interact with them. And the best brands are really good at that. And then I'd say consistency is huge too. Um, a lot of people say, oh, Jeter wasn't great at any one particular thing. Uh, and I'd argue it. What he was great at is, is being consistent. And he was a leader led by example. Um, he wasn't out very often. I know in the last few years of his season of his career, he had some injuries, but he was reliable. He was there. The best avail the best ability is availability, you know. Yeah. And um, but also he was clutch, like late in the games, eighth inning, ninth inning. He wasn't, you know, taking bad pitches. He was uh, he's gonna get on base, he was gonna knock someone over, he wasn't swinging for the fences, he was popping guys over to second or third, he was bringing them home. Uh, he was doing all that stuff really well. And I mean, you know, I don't know what number he ended up on, on the uh, MLB hit lit, like how many hits he has. I know it was, he's, is he what top five? I want to say. Yeah. Something crazy. Yeah. So, you know, to say he didn't do anything well, I mean, you know, number one thing a batter needs to be doing is getting hits, right. Getting yep. guys over. So he did that. Uh, he wasn't a home run guy. He was a shortstop. And at that time, typically, shortstops weren't even your home run hitters. Now I think, you know, you can get home run hitters from any position almost, but um, yeah. So I would just say he, he knew who he was and he did it extremely well and he was consistent over time. So that's why the brand was so well established consistency. Now, you know, the Yankees, like, you know, even like we're talking about sports and business at the same time, you mm -hmm. know, over the last couple of years when, you know, after George passed, mm -hmm. uh, the, the Yankees have pivoted. They're no longer out there spending stupid money. Now they're being more smart and strategic mm -hmm. about what they do and not just outbidding for every player out there. So what do you see the future is in podcasting? Because, you know, even Gary says, you know, um, audio is going to be king in the next year, couple mm -hmm. years. Audio um, clubhouse, you know, is going to be big in the next couple years. So what are your thoughts on um podcasting and the future where do you see it going yeah the exciting thing is i don't i don't see it going anywhere anytime soon so um i think audio and video podcasts i think video is going to continue to do well it's it's killing on every platform everything from instagram igtv tiktok youtube videos short form long form uh and podcasting is like still scratching the surface from a tipping point standpoint uh just like how when netflix came out you know out of 100 people you might have three people that had a subscription in the first few years and kind of knew about it water cooler talk and now it's like everybody knows what podcasts are they either listen to one or some uh, and then it's just a matter of getting people to be regular users of the medium and that's happening i mean we talked about the bills they have a an actual buffalo bills podcast now there's businesses that have their own business podcast because it's a great communication tool for an, an, your internal team too you know so large organizations are using them as a communication tool instead of just doing the long clunky emails so some of the organizations we work with um it's not designed just for the masses a lot of times it's a particular group of people that they want listening to their show which is a cool concept I absolutely feel like uh, we're still, even though it's like de a decade or so in, we're still so early on in what this can and will become. And I think the best part of it is uh, the strongest reason for its success and why it's not going anywhere is it's on-demand entertainment. 
And that's what the whole world is based on today. Um, things that are dying are radio. Like if you and I did this on whatever radio station in New York and it was picked up in Buffalo and people had to tune in at two o'clock Eastern and hear Mike DeChocho on the show, how many people are even available? You know, like a lot of people hope that they could have caught it or maybe some of it was recorded and they'll try to watch like a YouTube video with a little clip from it. Right. And so that's, you know, this is on-demand content so people can tune in whenever they're ready for it and willing and, and wanting to tune in. So it's uh, that same instant access, instant gratification. I want something, I go get it, it's there. And the other thing that people love, and Gary always talks about, if you want to sell something, help it, help people save time, you'll be in business forever. Because people don't want to add time to what they're doing and podcasting doesn't add time. I was at a wedding recently and they, 51-year-old cousin of mine said, like, the reason he doesn't listen to podcasts is, like, I don't have time for it. <laughs> I just was laughing. I'm like, so how do you get around? Like, you're a sales guy. Do you, do you walk everywhere? Like, with even if you did, I mean, you could have headset on. I mean, don't you drive and listen to the radio or listen to music? I mean, anytime you're moving and you're not talking to a human being, like, in a in-person call or a phone call, you could be listening to a podcast, cutting your grass, rollerblading, jogging, walking the dog, driving to your meetings, going to church one hour before you wind down at night, you know, read a book or listen to a podcast or an audible. Yep. There's there, the, the whole, I don't have time for it. That's kind of like what people said about social media. Like, I don't have time for that. But then now they realize that everybody like actually communicates and stays in touch on social. So you know, I have like one friend that still is fighting being on social media and I don't, you know, he's so out of tune with everything else that's going on. Like all the, the core of everybody else sees people growing up and their kids and their family and they're connected in their community and there's strong bonds happening. And if you're like standing out in left field, you're missing out on it all. So. Yeah. Um, like most people don't realize, you know, like um, KFC committed mm -hmm. 80% of their budget to social media including tiktok mm -hmm. so all the people that are saying well tiktok is for kids yeah. no i don't think kfc is spending five billion dollars a year on tiktok if it's yeah, but what do kids do though like even if so, so say yes yeah, a younger audience which is true that's not a lie i mean let's yeah. be real it's a younger audience but younger audience so either they're of high school age and have a little allowance and spend money when it's time to go out for fast food so that's a, obviously a targeted audience member. And then someone who's 14 years old today, aren't, aren't they going to be 25 not that yep. long from now? And isn't that going to be the big purchasing decision, uh, going to college, making life decisions, getting married, buying a house, buying a car? Like if companies aren't advertising to 15-year-olds right now, that's a huge freaking mistake because you're planting seeds. You're making impact and impressions during impressionable years and, uh, you know, that's the future. So it's, it makes sense to be advertising there. And plus, I think so many people who say, oh, I'm not, in, I'm not on Instagram, it's for younger. That was like five years ago. Instagram was kind of the TikTok. Now TikTok's in that slot. Um, I'm not even, on, I'm on TikTok, but I don't personally do a lot of content on there. It's something that I need to take a deep breath and start, you know, adding content to that as well. But I also feel like if you're on all social, which I recommend, you know, you should at least be spreading yourself to be available on there or consuming it in some way. 
But I also do recommend if someone's kind of newer and struggling and overwhelmed, I'd say just pick pick your hotter spot. Like for me, LinkedIn is where I meet the most valuable connections in business. Um, being a podcaster and also a business person and owner of a company, I make a lot of quality connections there. But where I like to consume content, so when it comes time for me to kick back and see what's going on in the world, I go to Instagram. I love to just scroll and, and see what other people are doing. I'll find other podcasts that way because now I, I like the way I can consume content there better than LinkedIn. So I usually don't scroll content much on LinkedIn, but I'll use the inbox. I'll use Sales Navigator to meet new people like how I believe you and I met was through Navigator. Um, yep. And... You know, so every, I use each tool different. Like if you're a mechanic, you don't use the same tool for every job. You know, you got different things. So to me, LinkedIn is like the business connections and taking things to the next level and a business relationship. And, and Instagram is where I like to consume content. Twitter's where I go for my sports updates because I'll get it there quicker than I will on ESPN. Because if it yeah. happened five seconds ago, it's already tweeted about where they have to wait to like, you know, tell some uh, producer has to tell an anchor and then the anchor has to get in front of a camera and then they have to go to a live feed and they're talking about it in 27 minutes where 26 seconds ago, there's thousands of tweets that reveal when Julio Jones got traded. Right. So I take a screenshot, I send it to my friend, boom, news is broke. That's it. That's how it works. Do not sleep on LinkedIn, especially if you're a podcast host because there are so many Mm -hmm. people that are putting a book out. Or, you know, they they have something they want to announce. Their CEO is starting a new company. And they want people, they want to be on your shows. Mm-hmm. But I think, you know, you have you have to go where the attention is. And I think if you're a business podcast, um, LinkedIn is definitely the place to go for people to mm-hmm. interview, you know? And what I'll say, too, is something that I need to even continue to do better myself. And I just, as we're chatting, I'm now connected with you on IG, but um, being active is so important. Think about it in like in, in school, right? If you made a lot of friends, the guys that had the most friends, what what did they do more than the wallflower? They were active. They engaged. They went up to people. They talked to people. They were doing stuff. They were going out. They were making new friends. Um, so if you're hanging out on IG and you're like, Hey, I'm not really, I don't see any quality connections are you just looking at content or are you actually like putting a meaningful comment on a video you liked or like that's typically, and even I, like I said, need to be reminded of that too, because it takes work. Let's be real. You literally need to schedule, whether it's a half hour, an hour a day to go in, consume content and then be actively engaging. Like Gary V has, I think it's called the dollar 12 rule. You can look it up on YouTube. I'm not going to go into it, but Basically, it's about making quality engagement on other people's posts so then people see you and then we'll start to engage with you. So it's a little bit of like a, you know, a call and response kind of a thing. But the number one thing about branding is the most important thing is to be real. In 2021, especially, there's no hiding. The thing yeah. Like in social media, you could act like you're all it. You could take your picture in front of that Lambo. And you could, you could, you know, walk and strut, but eventually, you know, if that's all you do, you might end up getting a lot of hits because people like the car and and the lifestyle, but you're not really growing as a person and you're not providing value to anyone. So most likely those accounts aren't truly monetizing in any way because they're not providing value. So they might be getting what I call vanity metrics. I didn't make it up. It's a true term. It's meaning, you know, 
hundreds of thousands of likes and all this good stuff, but they're not providing value and actually turning that into a business. But a good brand, solid, a great brand is going to be real, be transparent, be something you want to work with, be a podcast that you want to go back to for more, right? Because when you're really good at what you do, you know, people will want, they're, they're going to want more, right? And then I'd say the other important thing to do is is consistency on, hey, mic'd up Mondays. It's coming out on Monday. Everybody knows that they expect it. I deliver on it and, and they're expecting it. So um, I'm holding my promises, right? If you get real wishy-washy, just like how I said, if you launch too early and it's not really well done, you'll lose people and most likely never get a second chance. Um, if someone is tuning in and likes your show, but it gets wishy-washy, it's like, oh, I'm going on vacation, so I'm just not going to put one out. And then you come back from vacation and you got a whole w- week to make up. And so you're not going to launch another one because you don't have the time and bandwidth. So then you just launch it like in August. You just gave people three weeks to go find other content to listen to. And you lost that energy that you built up. And it's so hard. It's kind of like trust. It, it takes forever to gain it and it takes a half a second to lose it. Well, I think that's what it is with attention spans on social media. It's so hard to get it. So once you have it, why the hell would you just be like kind of lax about keeping their attention? So once you lose it, they're on to someone else. Different show, different concept. They're gone. Yep. I love it. So now you know, we're coming to the end and uh, my two last questions that I ask is mm-hmm. how do we find you? How, yeah. how can we support your mission, whatever you're doing? Yeah. So I would love if anyone who's listening to this right now does uh, connect with me on social. And I know the last name's a little bit tricky. It's it's Mike DiCiocco is D-I-C-I-O-C-C-I-O. Those are all C's like cat. So Mike DiCiocco, D-I-C-I-O-C-C-I-O. And it's at Mike DiCiocco. So when you go to Instagram, you just search the name, you'll find it. You can also do the hashtag Mic'd Up Mondays. Uh, you're going to find me on IG that way. I'm also on Twitter, um, at Mike DiCiocho. So I keep it all the same. Facebook, um, Facebook, I have the Mic'd Up podcast uh, as a separate Facebook page. So people can go there to connect with me personally, but also go to the uh, content for the podcast. And that's backslash Mic'd Up podcast. And then I made it even simpler. If you just want all of it in one a one-page clickable format. You go to micduppodcast.com and it's M-I-K-E-D uppodcast.com. That's going to give you all the links. You can check out the YouTube channel, uh, social media, where to listen or how to tune into the show. I let people choose how they want to consume it. So I just give them like a, a one, you know, like if you're going shopping, it's all right in front of you. <laughs> you don't have yep. to go hunting. Don't go hunting. It's right there for you. Cool. Now, last question I ask everybody, you know, we live in a still live in a crazy world, especially in New Jersey and New York. Mm-hmm. A lot of businesses closed. So we've got a lot of people driving for Uber, DoorDash, um, still got mm-hmm. pe- grandparents, home co- homeschooling kids. So yep. if I ask the average American to do something in seven days, they're never going to get to it. Mm-hmm. But if I ask somebody to take an actionable step in the next 24 hours, they're more likely. So mm-hmm. if somebody's listening to this show and wants to up-level their podcast, what is something they can do in the next 24 hours to start that process? To, to launch a show within 24 hours? Or you're just or, saying just to, to get in the mindset of starting? Or to improve an already 
a show that's already out there because a yeah. lot of guys like you said they're not getting the traction but maybe like you said because it's not they're not using the audiograms mm-hmm. or they're you know they're not t- going a little bit extra mile to build a relationship yeah so what so i'm gonna do a shameless plug plug for my company i mean i, I mentioned the show but i want to mention social chameleon.us and chameleon c-h-a-m-e-l-e-o-n so we have a do-it-yourself course on there where if someone wants to get started and they want to learn a little more uh, in depth, right? we talked about it in conversation right here, but if you want a little bit more one-on-one training, I do offer that. But uh, aside from the shameless plug of me helping you out directly, uh, be a student of the game. I think the best athletes, the best actors, actresses, celebrities, business people, um, leaders in the, in the world, po- politi- you know, politicians, anyone who's um, doing, doing well, they're at the top of their game. They're a student of the game and they're always willing to learn something new. So if you're interested in getting started, that's exciting because there's no shortage of information on it. So go to YouTube and like check out what it's going to take to get started and just, you know, the knowledge is there. Most of it's free and, you know, there's no reason to get started. And then the other part of it I'd encourage you to do is, um, is to, you know, believe in yourself enough where, a lot of people are worried, am I going to have an audience, this, that, and the other thing? Little feel the dreams moment. If you build it, they will come, right? Is that from that movie, right? Yeah. Um, but it, it's a little bit of that. But at the same time, you have a 0% success rate if you never get started. So, you know, do it. It's a low cost, low risk, essentially. Be somewhere between over strategic and quick and lazy. Uh, you got to, you know have a plan. My one thing my dad taught me and I'm today I'm he's he's really uh, on my heart today man is you got to have a plan. And you know, so that's what I would tell someone is map it out and go do it. I love it, brother. Thank you so much for coming on, man. I appreciate you. Um have a good time at the game. I know your yeah. heart is going to be happy, but it's going to be mm-hmm. heavy at the same time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, but just from, that's one thing about, you know, about the memories is something that that's the one thing we can always hold on to is our memories. You know what I'd like to say is a little moment here talking about the game. Um, I grew up in Buffalo, as I shared, and the Buffalo Bisons played in this field. It had different names over the years. It's a triple A team. And uh, it's a little bit smaller field. And I remember being told all the, I always thought like, Oh, I want to watch the Yankees play here. How cool would it be to be here in this stadium and see the Yankees? And it was always, I knew I was smart enough with my dad teaching me about farm teams that it would never have. I was told it would never happen. And how many times in life are we told that'll never happen? You can't be, whether it's people directly telling you, you're not never going to be the CEO or a founder or an entrepreneur, successful entrepreneur, or have your own successful podcast, or whether they're telling you that directly or their body language or the, world around us tells us that something can't be done well guess what i know in this case it's actually due to the negative pandemic it's a bad situation but it's something crazy that's out of the norm that's allowing the yankees to play in buffalo so when i was a kid told they'll never play here well guess what you're wrong they freaking did did play here and they just did last night and they're doing it tonight so what in your life can be the thing that when someone says you never are going to be able to do it um guess what the crazy things happen just don't make hopefully it's not a negative thing that allows it to happen but uh just realize that the norm can be shaken up a little bit and and you can find a way to do it and if it's something that you're willing to die for i mean 
go and do it. Last thing I'll say is I know you're a veteran yourself, correct? Yes, sir. Yeah. First of all, I want to thank you for that. Um, and I mean that genuinely. I know a lot of people just say, oh, yeah, I think the troops and it's just this catchphrase. I genuinely mean that. Anyone listening, I know a lot of them are veterans. I want to say thank you so freaking much for protecting our, our country and allowing us to have our freedoms. Too many people take them for granted. And I have grandparents that came over from Italy. We talked about that at the top of the show um, that were, you know, the Italian roots. And they came over here. Many times they didn't come together. Imagine your grandma coming over on a ship like mine did on a freaking boat, right? To come over for a better opportunity, a better life, and then having children and grandkids. And then how many kids is kind of piss it away by, um, you know, just, just being average or just going with the flow or just doing what society tells you to do. Like they didn't come over here and take that freaking risk so we can just be subpar. So that's when I say be great and be grateful at the end of my shows. I mean that, like figure out what who you are, be the Derek Jeter of your own story and go freaking be great. That's what I'm telling you, <laughs> because otherwise, what's your purpose, man? You know, uh, you know, I lo love that. And it brought me back because um, one of the when I first started getting active on LinkedIn, um, the vice president of Madison Square Garden invited me down to have a meeting with him about holding an event there. And I actually got to stand mid court in the middle of Madison square garden and shoot free throws. But here I am, you know, a, a kid with ninth grade dropout here. I am standing in the middle of Mad, you know, in, in the middle of Madison square garden, mm -hmm. shooting free throws on the Knicks court. Yeah. How, you know, who would ever thought, like you said, you know, yeah, you could have said that at eight years old, Hey, I want to stand mid court and, and, and shoot. And people said, that's never going to happen. You can't just go to Madison square garden and make it happen, but you lived it. Yeah. So, like you said, you know, you got to. So, I was listening to a uh, episode today was with um, Ed Milet. I love Ed Milet. Yeah, he was uh, interviewing Debo uh, Sweeney, the the coach of the Clemson Tigers, mm -hmm. and he said, you know, make sure that your dreams are bigger than your memories. Mm. And I was like, wow, that's pretty deep. He said, because that's right. You, you know, your windshield will always be bigger than your your front wheel windshield will always be bigger than your rear windshield. Mm, it's so good. Wow. So guys, if you remember that, I, like I said, I, I'm, I'm always willing to learn from the best. And Ed Milet is probably one of the best out there. Yes, so, he is. Mike, thank you so much, brother. It was so much fun. I can't wait. I would love just to get together and just shoot, shoot the crap and watch a game together sometimes. Yeah. Well, if I'm ever, uh, if I ever come to the city, I'll, I'll definitely hit you up and we'll, we'll do that. Let's uh, maybe watch some playoff baseball. There you go. All right, my brother. Well, have an amazing week. This is going to go out in a couple of weeks because I'm back, cool. but it'll go out on like 10 or 12 different platforms. So Yeah, let me know when, and, and I'll share it to my network as well. I, I appreciate you, brother. Have a blessed yeah. day. You too. Be good. Thanks. Hey, guys. If you're enjoying our show, if you love what we're doing, if you would like to support us, we have a whole bunch of great stuff coming out. We have a brand new t-shirt line that's coming out. Hats, coffee mugs, any kind of swag that lets your friends know that you support Vertical Momentum and you're always looking to get better. Also, we have our new coffee brand coming out. It's called Vertical Momentum Coffee. It's ass-kicking coffee. And, and it, will, it will get you moving 
in the morning. So guys, if you're interested, go to www.richardkaufman.net. Check us out. Leave us a note. Tell us what you'd like, and we'll actually send it to you. The new website is being built. So if you guys want to, our book is out there on Amazon. It's called A Hero's Journey from Darkness to Light. Definitely check it out. It talks about my story, but it also talks about how to survive depression, how to survive addiction. All right, guys, I love you. Thank you so much for always supporting our mission, which is to save lives. Thank you for joining us today. Please hit subscribe and share. Please feel free to leave us a comment.